ramen so the kits became such a uh, kind of a necessity like okay i lost half my income i gotta do something to make up yeah, for that. yeah so that was that and then it was just i don't know it's just something i want i, I, I have a firm belief that everything happens for a reason in life mm-hmm. and it is exactly what i did at that time to make okay wow i, I want to do this this is what i want to do like you go to work, you're like, oh, I don't want to prep this. I don't want to cut. Like, I had to cut two, four salmons yesterday. I didn't want to do that. But, <laughs> but then I was thinking about, like, oh, man, I want to go home and make noodles. I got more excited for it. You know, yeah. I started feeling that fire back a little bit, my motivation. And I, then I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. So. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Way Ramen Podcast. In today's episode, I sit down with Ernie Watkins, a sushi chef from Central California who's right in the middle of his transition from making sushi to making ramen. I wanted to get Ernie on the show for a couple of reasons. One, he's just a really nice guy. I like talking to him. And two, the speed of which he's gone from making his first bowl of ramen to selling 100 ramen kits uh, at a time is pretty remarkable. I think the two of us started making ramen at roughly around the same time and I have yet to sell anything that I've made. So I really wanted to talk to him and learn the steps he took to securing his first locations for his pop-ups, to marketing his ramen kits during these stay-at-home orders, and all of these things. Ernie's a great guy. I really had fun talking to him, and I'm sure I'll have him back on the show soon. But anyways, without further ado, here is Ernie Watkins, a.k.a. Confucius Eats. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I guess, could you start off by introducing yourself and kind of give a background of like how you got into ramen and all those things? Well, my name is Ernie Watkins. I go by Confucius Eats with a K on Instagram. Uh, it's just kind of a fun blog. I've I've always taken pictures of food. I've been a sushi chef or a chef for about 14 or 15 years now. And uh, it kind of was accidental. I was in the Marines uh, having a hard time in my life. Uh, I got, I ended up getting kicked out and I ended up finding, it was like, I'm, I'm a little older. I'm 35, about to be 36. Old enough where they still posted classified jobs in the paper. <laughs> so I found this ad that says sushi helper. So I was like, okay, that'd be really cool. So I, I went in. Actually, I went in and applied for a server. I was thinking I could make some tip money. They called me back like a month later and said, hey, would you be interested in sushi? And I'm like, oh, sure. So I went in the interview, and they're, you know, two nice, I think they were like Japanese, and one was Filipino. They were a family. And they said, oh, I think you do good sushi because you're Asian. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Literally, that was the reason why I started. And, you know, it was I didn't have any cooking experience besides making food at home for like family members. Uh, I always wanted to be a chef as growing up. Not, I remember my, my dad telling me like, you always said you wanted to be a chef. And then in high school, he'd be like, can you make me a sandwich? I'm like, sure. And he'd be like, that's the best sandwich I've ever had. So I was like, oh, whatever. I don't <laughs> want to hear cool, it. Dad. I don't, yeah. So after I got the job doing sushi and, and, and I, I went from like destroying hundreds of rolls asking the same question it's repetition i think in any kind of culinary you have that kind of grunt foot soldier time period where you kind of have to learn like the methods and so i started really capturing that japanese feel and the food i started learning more about sushi and just and then at the time i didn't know anything about ramen mm-hmm. i've never had good ramen before so basically my my introduction to japanese food was sushi so it just kind of evolved from there and it just every year it's just i just started getting better and better and starting learning new techniques um just trying to master every facet like sushi rice or just rice making because Mm -hmm. i don't know making rice at home is a lot different than making rice at work because 
I have a little rice cooker and I, for some reason, destroy it. But then at work, I make like the perfect rice. <laughs> and so <laughs> this is kind of like that kind of a lot of the stuff you go through is in a restaurant and the, being on the line and 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 me being I was like really shy as a kid. And then you're thrown into, okay, you have to make food in front of people. And I'm like, oh, my God. And you have to talk to people. So it's like you're serving and you're making sushi. So it kind of got me out of my comfort zone a little bit. Uh Uh, Like now I'm a lot more of an extrovert than an introvert. Uh, And then it keeps going. And then, uh, what was it, about seven years ago, my friend, one of my best friends named Kevin Walkie, I think uh, he randomly came to the restaurant and said, hey, I'm going to Japan in three months with my dad. You should go. And I'm like, okay, let's go. Three months. And I figured it out. I got... So he was already there at the south part of Japan with his cousin who was teaching English. And he was there for about a week. He met with me in Tokyo. And so I was there for about three or four days by myself. And being about 27, I was kind of scary. Like, oh, I want to go fly to Japan. And I don't really remember my first bowl I had in Japan. But I remember just being like in awe of all the food over there. The quality of food over there is just unreal. It's just that that really got me going on the ramen and all the other stuff that I like to eat and the sushi kind of got me on my own, but I really still at the same time didn't know anything about su- uh, ramen. And then what was it? I went again, I ended up getting married and then I took my wife and my mom to Japan about the, uh, November of 2018. And that's when I was like, I was going in there looking at trying to find all the great shops before I found out about like Tomita or anybody. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I'm still ignorant about a lot of stuff. And then I was like, I was like, I'm going to have as much sushi as I can. I was like, not ramen. I'm sorry, ramen as much as I can. I actually only had sushi once there because I don't oh, really like I, I have sushi so much here. And I know sushi <laughs> here is the same in Japan, but I was like so focused on ramen. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted ramen every day. Of course, I realized after the second or third day, I need to watch my salt intake <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it's hard to eat all that stuff. And then I went to this one place in Akihabara. God, I can't remember the name. I was trying to pull it up. Uh, it was the best bowl I've ever had in my life. Nice. And I Do you still remember, remember what kind of ramen it was? I think it was a, uh, I think it was a shoyu, but they used like this giant braised pork belly in it. It just was just melty. There's a lot of garlic in it. And I ended up going back there four or five times in a week. <laughs> <laughs> and so after I came back, I started really kind of like, it really got in my head, like yeah. food. And I was getting kind of burnt out at the time of just being in the chef world, I mean, I, uh, anything you do, you get, feel like you're kind of, you need that next level of motivation. Yeah. Well, how so, long like, were you making sushi like professionally, like from when uh, you started? Before to... I started even making ramen, like at home, uh, it's been a year since I started really making ramen. So oh, yeah, yeah, I was... like as far as sushi, like how long were you making sushi when, until you had like 2018 where you went to Japan? Like you're making sushi for what? Like about 12 years, 12 years of making sushi. Yeah, That's before crazy. I even went. But then I think I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to like discern things from the sushi here and sushi in Japan because it's totally different. You know, it's yeah, yeah. Over here, I mean, I'm more traditional. I like the sh- you know sashimi, nigiri, mm-hmm. more traditional. People, I think the rolls are really Americanized. You can't really can't find that in Japan too much, yeah. especially yeah. with all the sauces and stuff. <laughs> So, so that's why I was like, I needed to take the to the next level. I also felt like I was kind of stuck where I'm at. Like I do help my my restaurant out a lot. I'm the main manager and, and this, one of the main sushi guys there, but we all kind of do everything. We only have like 
three main sushi guys and one helper and we push a lot of rolls out surprisingly a lot of uh, sushi places in the city only they have about 10 chefs working at the same time so oh, it's, wow. yeah it's just it's pretty cool so i felt like i needed to just take that next step so i started making ramen for my friends mm-hmm. i would i would go see i live in the central part of california where i i have to drive about an hour and a half to go to any asian market or to get any good food technically um, so I started buying the noodles from Mitsua in San Jose. Mm-hmm. I started researching. I think that's when I started following you. So you were kind of like right there at the beginning with me. You didn't know that, but, but <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to start. Who was this? Like, I don't know how I found you. I think I found you on YouTube and I just started watching your videos. And then I was like, I started referencing your stuff. Wow. And that's I, kind of, it, that's kind of crazy. Cause I'm still learning too. Like I'm still a very much so work in progress. So. Cool. Like yeah, that's kind of the feel of my YouTube channel that I wanted to get is like, hey, everybody just come learn as I'm learning with me. So I think that's kind of kind of sounds like what you were doing, which is awesome, because that was kind of like my intent the whole time. Yeah. And then you had it where like, uh, I think your your basic your first Tari recipe, you even said it was like translated from a book. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I took that and I was like, OK, well, I can do this twist on my own. So I started making my own Tari. I started making my own broths. Uh, it just started like kind of taking things from you and from ramen lord and from keizo and just started watching everybody i started following a lot more people like hello ramen ramen addict i, I watch him a lot and i just started researching and and then i, I don't know it's like this whole monster took over me <laughs> getting obsessed with it i started <laughs> and it was like i couldn't stop thinking about it and then i think last year uh, black friday a uh, kitchen aid mixer went on sale for about a hundred dollars off and i was like Perfect opportunity. I bought the mixer and all the pasta cutters and attachments. Nice. But I, let it, I let it sit here for like two months. I didn't do anything to it. And I was still buying packaged ramens. I was still trying to develop. I wasn't really knowing what I was doing still. Mm-hmm. And then um, I had started doing sushi classes last year. Oh, okay. For like an extra side hustle, kind of. just Because I work four days a week. I have three days off, so I have a lot of extra time on my hands. Yeah, yeah. So I set up this thing, and I did, you know, I charged $100, and it was like a three or four hour class. I taught them, like, you know, how to make the sushi rice, how to mix it, you know, and then I'd have people, like, put the rice on the, on the nori and just get the feel of, like, how it and it was also really funny to see how bad people are at making sushi. <laughs> but it's also really hard because it's, it's super technical. Mm-hmm. And then. Um, so how did those go? Like, how did those sushi classes go? Like, were they sold out every single time or is it? Like- no, I had. A, oh, the first one I did was a lot of my friends and family. So okay, that was okay. that was pretty easy. Like I had maybe 20 people. So I did it in an appliance store randomly. But they had this really big kitchen and it was a te- they called it the kitchen eight kitchen actually so it was a big you can actually see it on my posts on and with all the the last pop-ups i did that was mm-hmm. there oh, so i had okay. this yeah so i had this nice little filming not filming area but nice little like demonstration area and then i started like i would pull out like the tuna the salmon uh things that i particularly like like escalar or orno uh I, it's a butterfish it's really mm-hmm. good um then an ebby crab just the basic stuff uh, I didn't want to get into like nigiri or sashimis. I just kind of wanted to get people to make California rolls. Everyone mm-hmm. had a lot of fun. I even like poured sake for everybody, which probably was a bad idea since <laughs> everyone was using knives. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but everyone had a really good good time, and I was thinking, okay, this is cool. This is something I can I can I can do. And I tried doing a next one, and I had no one. 
And I oh, was like, really? Oh, wow. I was like, man, I don't really feel great about this. <laughs> and then that's kind of when ramen started taking over again. Uh-huh. I started, I started really just trying to make, I wouldn't, I'm not trying to be the best ramen mm-hmm. cook ever. I just want people to enjoy my food. I, I really feel like food is, uh, brings people together. It, it's, it's, it's happiness, especially at times like this right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. We all, we all need that, that good feeling of like, I just want people to feel how I felt when I ate that bowl in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Boric, just happy. And I just want people and I, and people have responded with me with my, uh, with my sushi that way. So I just want to transition that into ramen. And then I had, I had, I had canceled the sushi class after I had scheduled it and I was like kind of disheartened. And so I was like, okay, how about I just make ramen? And I finally started making noodles. Okay. And that's the moment of like, you know, Oh my God, this is it. When I first tried my handmade noodle and tasted it, I think I was just like jumping up and down. I was ecstatic. <laughs> I was like, this is it. Yes. And my wife's like, looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> and she tried it and she's like, this is really good. And then, you know, actually, your recipe was my mm-hmm. first recipe, the 500 oh, nice. grams of bread flour. And then I had bought in that, uh, I'm not sure what that, that bottle one. Yeah, bottle yeah, 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 yeah. And then realized I wasn't getting that yellow color. I wasn't uh-huh. getting that, that chemical reaction. So I started like looking at what you were doing with the baking soda. So I did that. And then I didn't like it. It was just like too much baking soda mm-hmm. taste. So then I was like, oh, I found potassium carbonate. So, mm-hmm. and then again, like I started doing chemistry stuff. You started doing ratios. You started <laughs> experimenting. And it's like, I've never done this before. I'm not, I've never been a science guy. Yeah. But that's what it feels like sometimes with ramen. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like a chemistry experiment. Yeah. Like it, I, for, for me personally, like ramen has all of those things in it that um, leads to just like a hobby that you can do for a long time. Or like, you, there's always something new to learn, you know, like. The, the best hobbies are like that, I feel, where there's always like another string you can pull on for a while and go down this rabbit hole for a while and come back out and, oh, what is this? And then just spend like, <laughs> a, a, you know, a few months just researching this one thing. So, yeah, cool, man. So like, how did you, how, so how did that transition into like your first pop-up? Because I know that you did your first pop-up like a few months ago. Like how, <laughs> how long was that first pop-up after you first started making ramen? Uh, actually, I just got a note, a story on my Instagram about a year ago, maybe last week was the first time I actually made ramen for my friends. Okay. And that, I honestly, like you say, you've said this many times to a lot of your guests, your first bowl is garbage. <laughs> and no, no, my friends loved it. All of my friends loved it. And I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. But I also feel like that with all my ramen. So uh-huh. I can't, I don't know. It's a perfectionist thing. So, so it was about a year ago, you served your friends, but it wasn't like a pop-up thing. It was like a home dinner kind of get-together like thing. A, yeah, about 15, 20 of my friends oh, at a wow. house. And I just made it. And I had bought the noodle. That's how I originally started was I started buying these noodles. And they're not sun noodles. I don't know. They're from the Bay Area. But they're really good. And, and okay. it was like a four-pack. It, was, it wasn't that expensive. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to make all this. And my taris were <laughs> garbage. Uh, I tried making a tare out of a a dark mushroom soy sauce that just did not work. <laughs> so, so that I made a shoyu ramen traditional with the, you know, the pork belly and the ajitama. And so they loved it. And so I just kind of, I kind of let it sit for a while. I didn't do anything for about four or five months. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes like, 
I'm a bit of a procrastinator, <laughs> hence the KitchenAid mixer sitting for two months. <laughs> and then I was like, I should just start making ramen noodles. And I started making noodles and it's just experimenting. And so I got to the point of like, wow, I think I could probably do this for a side job, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I decided to call the people at the appliance store and I said, hey, can I actually switch the sushi class to a ramen tasting? And she's like, uh, sure, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I invited 20 people, uh, all my friends and family. Uh, I was like, I was like, just come in and enjoy it. Let me know what you think. Uh, I have a few people that were in there that I highly respect. Uh, there's a, sh a chef named Chef Ty Bauer who actually had me, let me do my pop-up the other day. He was there. So like a lot of people that were there, like really like want their opinion. Like my mom mm -hmm. was there and my wife and all my friends. And, uh, he a lot, and then that was when I knew that my pork wasn't quite right. So a lot, I like it, what I was gonna do was skip all those steps, and I kept hearing your podcast. I don't, I don't know, like it's very therapeutic, I think, to make ramen and listen to your podcast for some <laughs> reason. It's very flowy. It makes it feels nice because you're just sitting there, and you and I, I think I think I was listening to the one with Ramen Lord, and huh? you were just you were saying like, don't just jump jump the gun and and do a pop-up do a tasting first and so uh -huh. sometimes i'm very impulsive and i just want to do things done now so i was like okay i'm gonna slow down i'm gonna just do a tasting and then we'll go from there mm -hmm. and then, so they gave me some really criticisms that i was like okay and so at the time is when i i started discovering sous vide yeah yeah and so i started doing i wanted a unique way of making chashu because the chashu i made for my first bowl was the like traditional braised mm -hmm. but i also feel like that's a little bit over salted and a little bit yeah it, it has a very strong flavor so it has to be balanced properly with a specific type of bowl and show you ramen it might be too strong yeah. yeah and so that was a lot of my mistakes coming out of the play and then so the first tasting i had was my first like not me having it myself but me serving the pork belly sous vide mm -hmm. and I made a, a pretty big mistake and instead of doing, I did a 12 hour at a hundred and I think 30 degrees, way undercooked, way tough, uh, very porky taste. I had that really not, not very clean taste. And uh -huh. that was the, that was the biggest criticism on my pop-up was that. And then I was like, all right, let's do it. So I started grinding down. I started really researching my tare, my, then I just decided to make my ajitama and my chashu the same. And I made it on a little bit of the sweeter side to offset i want my proteins to be a little bit sweeter than the, the broth to make it balanced and so i was like okay well let's, let's just tweak it i had an old school teriyaki recipe from my old sushi job that i kind of i used brown sugar i used a little bit of water sake marin just like the sms thing mm -hmm. sake marin soy sauce and then i did 150 degrees for 24 hours and then it came out great so i felt a little more confident so each step I have, I'm trying, and what I do is I want to try to make each step of the ramen. And then if I feel like it's good, then I'll move on. Mm -hmm. And then and then I'm like, okay, I feel like I can serve this. So I had gotten to the point of where my noodles were okay. I'm still learning. I'm very new. I mean, I don't think they're perfect. I think they were a very high percentage hydration. I think they were about 44%. Oh, wow. And uh, I just, you know, then I think I saw Keizo's ramen video. And that kind of like another level of just like my mind on fire. I got to do this. And then I kept seeing stuff on him and then I kept messaging him. And I, I feel like I bug, I feel like I bug you guys a lot, but 
but I know you guys are, are, are really cool and understanding. Azo knows like more about making ramen than like him and Mike are just like such like phenomenal resources. It's kind of crazy that they're just yeah. accessible. They're on yeah. So I booked the first, uh, the first real pop-up. Uh, this was about November or December. Or I don't remember. What was the time span between that that uh, tasting dinner with your friends and family to the first pop up? Like, what was the time span? About a month, maybe. So you you did the tasting and then you you did R and D for a month before your first personal official pop up. Is that kind of the timeline? Yeah. Okay. So here's I have the picture here. April thirteenth was my first friends pop up, and then sorry, I should have had this up earlier. (laughs) No, no. It's it's just I I love it because it really seems like like the total time from when you you made your first bowl of ramen till your first pop up where you're like charging people was pretty quick I feel like you know compared to like a lot of people but that's actually kind of how I am to just inherently like shoot first aim later kind of thing and then I kind of like you know I'll shoot and then I'll kind of like try to aim okay well that ended up there so I'm gonna try try to go next this day and I think. I think that's a pretty cool way to just approach a lot of things and you get a lot of things done really quick, but I don't know. Yeah, so, yeah. so how did your, so it was about a month from your first tasting menu, you refined some things, then you did your first pop-up. Like how many people showed up to your first pop-up? So I had two groups of, I had three groups of 20. I think I did 60. Oh, so my first tasting was about 20 to 30. And then my, my first actual pop-up and I sold tickets for that was about 60 i feel like that number's wrong 60 and then i would do 20 people per hour so i would have and then that's about the much space i had inside the kitchen i mean i actually have about 24 people per hour i had two groups yeah i had i had 24 people of two groups and then i had like a little bit a small group of my friends and family at the end Mm -hmm. so they would come in i would so i kind of set it up like like a restaurant mentality kind of thing and and catering so, so everything that you do with food, like even if you do food trucks or if you go do a wedding, it all has the same premise. So I kind of look at that like that. And you, could done... you teach us like what that premise is? Because I think for a lot of people that are home cooks like me or someone who's aspiring to be like you, like go from making ramen for your friends to doing a pop-up, like what is the things that's required? Because you have this catering experience and working in restaurants experience, like what translated from those jobs to doing your pop-up? Like what did you bring from those things? I think it was way easier to understand costs and what you need as equipment and what you need for, for, for stuff like, you know, bowls and chopsticks and just standard stuff. Um, What I did was I had every, I had every seat set up with a bowl, a napkin, not a bowl. I'm sorry. I had the napkin, the chopsticks and the soup spoon. And then I gave them a nice, uh, clean wipe so I had every station like that and so then would sit there um, and then I would start the the process of the ramen I actually have it here and I would uh, and I also realized that it's an amazing amount of prep <laughs> yeah yeah to do all this so I just bring in I just think of it like look at it like you're running a restaurant and so when you run a restaurant the typical number for your costs, you try to make it 25%. Try if you want to make a profit. Sometimes with higher sushi, it's a little bit higher because of the cost of the fish. Mm-hmm. So also, this was another learning for me. I'm like, okay, let's just wing this and see how much I can make or how much is profitable. And so I, I think I, I got it down to about 30, 35%. So, you know, you buy your product, 
you hire your staff and I didn't have that much. Obviously it was just me. I have a partner. Uh, his name is Jared Blakemore. And so he's always pretty much with me helping. Mm-hmm. So I only really just paid him and it was just mm-hmm. me and him, but I had some friends then come in and would help us clean a little bit. And so I just kind of learning a lot from that and just like, okay, well I need, you know, 20 pounds of pork belly. I need, I need to make, you know, a hundred portions of noodles and, and, and I need to make, you know, a hundred achitama. So that's how it started. And mm-hmm. so what I do is it's kind of like I keep a prep list. So I keep a list of things I need and then I'll go and okay, I got this. I've got this covered. I'm good with this. Okay. I need to buy a bunch of napkins. I got to buy it. I started buying a whole bunch of ramen bowls too at Daiso of all places. This <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> And so just that concept of, of, of a restaurant, this was a really easy for me. It almost feels like I'm probably not explaining this very well, but it just feels natural for me to flow. And I like, I know exactly what I probably should buy. And, mm-hmm. but now I'm to the point where I'm just trying to tighten up my costs and um, I just, yeah, and this is crazy. <laughs> so you have like all the things to do, sir. Oh, because you were doing it, not at a restaurant, you're doing it at like a show kitchen kind of place. So you needed to bring in your own utensils and your own, uh, bowls and everything is that the, is that what happened yeah yeah so this this the ramen has always been separate from my sushi job and okay. a lot of people started noticing my ramen and then started going into my sushi restaurant asking my boss about my ramen <laughs> and that's how that's how she found out and i was trying to so i'm half korean and my boss yeah. is korean and uh-huh. she is a very uh high energy uh-huh. so i was a little nervous to tell her about the the ramen I didn't Side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> ramen she's side like family she looks she looks and acts like my mom so okay. it's just pretty scary and so she's just you know she's really cool about it and i was just just nervous so i keep it separate and so i i don't i just like you know i just buy the standard napkins and chopsticks when i do a pop-up yeah so yeah. things they would actually use i mean i, I was thinking about using like plastic bowls but uh-huh. honestly like it doesn't I, okay, you obviously eat with your eyes. I want my bowls to look yeah. like your bowls look nice on your videos. <laughs> so, some of them look nice. Some of them look terrible, but yeah, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> so the part of it is the bowl. Uh-huh. And so I was starting to look at the bowls. That's part of my cost. So I'm like, okay. So I was like, well, if I keep doing this, at least I have all the equipment already. Right. You're, you're amortizing out your cost because you buy it once and you can use it multiple, multiple times. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then as far as like, for someone who wants to do a pop-up, say like for you, how did you get into that show kitchen? Like, did you just call them, like cold call them? Or did you have like a connection in there or already? Or I saw them post on Instagram. Oh, really? About, so they were looking uh, for things to do in their kitchen? No, it was kind of accidental. Oh, okay. uh, they have a, a, a community college in town that mm-hmm. already goes in there. So they already have classes. They've been oh, doing okay. it 20 years, I think, classes. Oh, wow, wow. And they had just... They were in this really tiny spot next door, and then they just moved to this huge, giant store next next door. And then the lady was messaging me, and she's like, "Oh, we would love to talk to you about having you come in here to do a class." And I'm like, "Okay." So that kind of got evolved, and 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 she's like, "Oh yeah, you can just come in here, and you know, it's kind of like a partnership where like they would walk through the showroom and see all the you know the nice gas ranges and the refrigerators, and they would walk Mm -hmm. to the back and then have my class, and." And the people started noticing that. And then they, they say, oh, you're doing sushi classes. And then they, they started seeing the ramen thing. And they're like, oh, when are you going to do a ramen class? And I'm like, it's not a ramen class. It's a pop-up. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not ready to teach people how to make ramen if I'm, if I'm still learning. Uh-huh. So that's how I got started there. I have a pretty good relationship with, with the owner. It's really nice. Okay. And she's really good about uh, part of the community. And I'm all about 
being part of the community and trying to help everybody. Cool. Yeah. I think, I think that's kind of like where if someone wants to start, like they don't know like where, how do I get a space and like, how do I know the cost and like, what should I be charging? And do you, do you try to work, which way do you work when you're trying to price your things at the pop-up? Are you going from like a, like, okay, I want to charge this much. I have to get my costs down to this. Or is it like, okay, I got my costs down to this. This is how much I need to charge. Like which way do you approach it? Uh, I approach it the opposite way for this, for me, because I have a special circumstance. I don't mm-hmm. have a good ramen shop and they, I think it's uh, 40 miles away uh-huh. is the closest ramen shop. And I oh, don't wow. even know if it's any decent. There is a, <laughs> <laughs> there's a chain that I used to frequent a lot before I even knew what good ramen was before I had Tai Shoken or Hanadea or not Ipudo. I'm sorry. Ramen Nagi. Uh-huh. Uh, it's called ramen 101 or 101 ramen. Okay. Area. And that's when I first had like black garlic ramen and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And, uh, and I started looking at the prices of the Bay Area, especially San Francisco. San Francisco mm-hmm. is getting a little bit pricey, but their quality of ramen is up, getting up there. And I yeah, know LA, yeah. LA has a lot of good stuff. But LA is about six hours away. I can go to San Francisco or San Jose for the day and come home like nothing. And uh, I there is so so I I have control of the demand at the moment because there is no one else here. And oh. and and honestly. I think Taishoken makes their noodles from scratch. I think Hanadea tastes like it, but that's it. I don't know anybody else that's making noodles from scratch. And mm-hmm. that's a huge, a huge like pull for people. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a hand make my noodles. And they're like, what? Oh yeah. It just, they, when they taste it, they're like, this is so much better than I expected. And so yeah. I was like, okay, cool. And so I was like, I did $12 for the pop-up. I did 15 because uh-huh. of the time I put in, and then the items that I had. So mm-hmm. I wanted some of my own flair into my bowl of my shoyu. And so I, I asked my mom for some of her kimchi mm-hmm. because everyone loves my mom. I'm like, I can sell it. That's how good it is. She just, yeah. everyone loves it. And then she, we, uh, there's a side dish, a banchan called, it's just a spinach. And I just felt like that would be really good together. And so I served that at my pop-up and everyone was like, really like loving the spinach and the, the mouthfeel and the texture and then the kimchi and everyone's like can i have more kimchi i brought in a whole gallon and it was gone and so i was like okay this is it but then i was like okay this is 15 dollars. i feel like that was fair i pay about 15 bucks to average in california and a lot of places charge 12 but you can tell that is like the concentrated yeah raised and stuff so i don't feel like there is ramen in modesto and i do gotta check out um one new place not new place it's been here for 30 years but i think their family member just took over because mm-hmm. the owners were getting a little bit older and now i'm seeing he's making like spicy miso ramen and i'm like okay maybe i should uh, give him a shot and then we started following each other but i know like my friend runs another sushi restaurant and it it's the only thing they really make uh is the pork belly or the chashu a lot of the soups they get from uh, like jfc or true world the I manufacturers see, see. The, so so i don't feel like it's all real I mean, it's real. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really fine line to say that because I'm not an expert. I'm still yeah, learning. Yeah. You're, you're not, doing more like a craft, handmade, homemade, handmade ramen, and they're doing like commercial ramen, basically. Yeah. And so then I, yeah, so I started trying to look at it like that. Okay. I, I mean, I put in a lot of hours and a lot of time on this. So I thought 15 was, was reasonable. And, mm-hmm. and then I wait on the customer's reactions to see how much, because it all depends on on how their reactions are to price mm-hmm. because like at work, uh, the sushi, we have Monday through Thursday, we have a half off menu. 
so you can see people's kind of reactions when they come in on not those days and I'm like oh it's not half off so you kind of want to gauge oh, their opinion because the general public if they if you get more than one like if you get several complaints like this is too much i don't feel mm -hmm. like i'm getting my money's worth and that's another keyword for me is money's worth i want to mm -hmm. make sure that i want to give you that 15 dollars, and i want to make sure that you walk away from that satisfied and not not man, like that guy screwed me over for $15 kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I've had that experiences at places too, where you go in and you buy something. It's like, Oh, that costed 20 bucks. Yeah. Maybe like, I was like, maybe like 12 would have been okay, <laughs> but 20, but yeah. So you never want to give that feeling, I guess. Yeah. When so they're, when they're walking away. Yeah. So I, I started doing that and I'm pretty set on my price. I'm pretty confident with that. Mm. Um, it's just not too bad. I, I, I think that as the ramen kids had started, I had to adjust a few things, but, but for my pop-up, I'm, I'm pretty confident with my costs. I'm not worried about, I'm not too worried about like what my costs are right now because I don't have like distributors yet. So I'm paying a lot of things like full, either full price or I try to get it through work, which is really hard. She won't even let me buy fish for sushi. <laughs> so it's just a little bit harder to do that. So I go to like Mitsuo a lot. So you're, uh, you're buying everything retail for your pop-ups too? Like retail or restaurant supply stores. So oh, okay, I go to, yeah. I go to places uh, like a, it's called restaurant depot. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like ask my bosses for their card because you have to own a restaurant to get inside. I see, and it's I like, it's like $2 a pound pork belly. So it's really good, oh, okay. really good price. And then it's bulk. So I can go in there and they have yeah. restaurant equipment. They got, you know, NSF stuff like Cambro's Cambro uh, containers. Mm -hmm. And so I save money that way a little bit. Uh, like when I did the sushi class, I went there and they had everything that you can think of like seaweed salad. They had wakame, they had, you know, tobiko, they had unagi. Mm -hmm. So they have everything for restaurants, but I also noticed they don't have a lot of stuff for particularly noodles. And, and, and so that's my problem. That's when I started watching you a lot, like the King Arthur came into play. And that's another thing too, is, is my cost is trying to find these, this item, especially right now during the quarantine. <laughs> so <laughs> how did you, okay. So were the kids, so you're doing, the reason I wanted to get you on is cause you're doing kits and it seems like you're kind of crushing it with kits in your area. And how, how did you transition into kits? Was it a, because of the circumstance of coronavirus and, you had to do something else or was it like you were thinking about kits prior or what was your, what was your thinking thought process in that? I had the idea. The idea was the seed was in my head before when mm. I started feeling like things were going to go bad. This is the beginning of March. I had already, yeah. I had already booked my second pop-up uh, at my friend's uh, Ty Bowers restaurant and I had sold out my, my, not, I, I, I was up there. It wasn't a one day thing. And so I had, this plan and then as i was getting really worried about a few weeks beforehand and i was just kind of seeing how things are going and then about two weeks i was like well i have to buy supplies you know and i'm risking it i'm like uh -huh. okay screw it i'm gonna go buy whatever i i you know i end up buying like 500 worth of stuff and then like two days after i was you know i told my friend i was like hey what's going on what do you think about all this and he saw I think we should cancel. And I'm like, oh, my heart just dropped. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, all this preparation, all this stuff I bought, you know, I, I can't do anything with it. And, you know, and then at the time, uh, I got my days cut at work because, you know, we yeah, literally yeah. had one sushi chef making food all day. We had one cook and then my boss, the owner was serving. That's it. We can only do takeout. Yeah, yeah. So I was only working. I originally worked four days. So I went down to two. So I had five days off a week uh -huh. and, I worked in 15 years for, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. You're kind of yeah, like, yeah. 
weird, thrown off. And about the first week, I was like mopey. My wife's like, after a while, she's like, get your butt up and do something. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> like, all right, okay, fine, I'll make some ramen. You know, I have all this stuff. At least, you know, I hit up some people and I said, hey, how would you feel if I like sold you a kit? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, what if I gave you some like noodles that you have to boil? You basically have to cook it yourself, but everything's mm-hmm. really nice and fresh. You know, I give you the container for the soup the toppings, the egg, the pork belly, and then I'll give you my handmade noodles. And you pay, uh, first I charged $12. And my friends, a few of my friends were like, dude, that's a really good idea. And this is right after we actually got our lock-in orders in California. So a lot of people were already, I already feel like people were already feeling a little bit frustrated with staying at home. (laughs) And I got that feeling from people, especially at work, that they really need something different. They want something to eat rather than the standard McDonald's, you know, Burger King, stuff they can only get takeout yeah and uh, i did 40 so i did 40 but i did deliveries so i had me and my friend and do deliveries and then about a 20 mile radius we i got everything ready i prepped everything and then i started thinking about how i could make more production then i started thinking that way and how i could make more broth i started watching your stuff about the freezer started experimenting with my noodles and my broth in the freezer. And I'm like, okay. So that actually got me down where, okay, I can schedule myself for the week and I know exactly what I need to do. So I did the four and I had no idea what I was doing. And this is all kind of winging it. I, the, the first one I was just winging it. And I'm like, I, I know the system of what I need. Okay. I need, I need to go boxes. I need containers. I need, you know, I was trying to make it cool where like they have a little bit of oil, the aroma oil, a little bit of the tare. They got the broth, you know, and I gave the, I wrote the instructions out and I printed them out. No, I say fluff noodles, you know, then grab two pots with water, grab one for the broth. And then I make it easy for everybody. And I put, you know, put the egg in the broth to warm up. And I was like, optional tip. I prefer if you guys, you know, sear the chashu for some, because I don't want to sear beforehand because when it gets cold, the texture of the sear goes away. So I wanted to kind of lock in that umami. So I was like, but if you don't want to sear it, you can just throw it in the broth for warmth. And I sold out in a day and I was like, all right, well, this is cool. The 40, I was like, that's a nice little side job. It's keeping me busy. And the delivery was okay. It was, you know, just like Grubhub delivering. Wasn't very fun. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, oh, I still have a lot more. I had a lot of suing hens. I had about, about 10 in the freezer. So I was like, oh, I have more for the next batch. So I had it down. I have my broth recipes down where I can just pull out what exactly what I need and I can make a broth and my recipe usually yields about two gallons. And so I was like, okay, the second time. So this is this book it a second time and I posted it and instantly got 30 people hitting me up and I'm like, Oh my God, this is crazy. Like I'm not expecting this. And then it just kept going more and more and more. And I'm like, okay, I got to stop at 80. <laughs> Cause I felt at the time I was like, I don't, this is too much. I can't handle this. And it's just yourself, right? Like you're doing everything yourself. I'm doing most of it myself. Uh-huh. My friend Jared's helping me with like, okay, okay. I, I, at that time, the second pop-up, I actually went to his house and set up his, his kitchen where I used his dining room table as the noodle maker machine. So mm-hmm. this, just to look at my, my kitchen aid. And I just, I taught him everything, how to do it. And he was getting down. So he actually helped a lot with that batch. He helped me a lot with this batch. Um, I did all of the broths, all of the tares, all of the oils. I did everything but like the prepping, the green onions, little cut stuff. I had him do it too. And and so it's just staying at home. It's like basically I felt like I was working from home. Yeah. All yeah, this yeah. Stuff. And so 
I was like, okay, the second time it sold out in a day. And I'm like, oh my God, this is okay. I guess this is something. I got something finally. This is much better than the sushi, uh, the sushi classes. And I get yeah, a couple yeah. questions from people like, are you still going to do the sushi classes? And I'm like, well, I obviously can't do that right now. <laughs> so <laughs> ramen, so the kits became such a uh, kind of a necessity like, okay, I lost half my income. I got to do something to make up yeah, for that. Yeah. So that was that. And then it was just, I don't know. It's just something I want. I, I, I have a firm belief that everything happens for a reason in life. Mm-hmm. And it is exactly what I did at that time to make, okay, wow, I, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. Like you go to work, you're like, Oh, I don't want to prep this. I don't want to cut. Like I had to cut two, four salmons yesterday. I didn't want to do that. But, <laughs> but then I was thinking about like, Oh man, I'm gonna go home and make noodles. I got more excited for it. You know, yeah. I started feeling that fire back a little bit, my motivation. And then I, then I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. So last week I posted again and I was expecting like 120 I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a miso. I'm going to just show you. And I'm trying to do a new flavor every event, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of pressure on myself because, you know, I, I did the Python on the second event yeah. thinking, oh, I'm going to make a Python. I don't know how to make a Python. <laughs> but maybe if I'm <laughs> – I was like, maybe if I make this Python, maybe it'll make it easier to make a tonkatsu because everyone is waiting for my tonkatsu. But I'm, Yes, I'm, that's interesting because you've only – like a lot of your ramen that you're selling is shoyu ramen, it seems, like on your Instagram at least. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Usually don't think about shoyu ramen as like a hot seller in, you know, kind of rural America. You just, you just think of like the tonkotsu ramen and things, but people love it. Like it seems like people really like what you're doing with the shoyu. Oh ramen yeah, stuff. yeah. I honestly hearing you guys talk, hearing ramen lord talk, and I agree about the tonkotsu in America. I mm-hmm. don't. I used to. It used to be my favorite flavor, the uh-huh. tonkotsu, the epiphany of ramen. You know, uh-huh. the you know the king. And then I started like. And when I went to Japan, I had Shoyu, I had Shio, I had Tantan Men. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, wow, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe Tonkatsu isn't the greatest. And I'm not saying it's bad. I love yeah. Tonkatsu. But I also Tastes feel, good. yeah, yeah. I also feel, <laughs> no, also because I'm getting a little older, it doesn't make me feel great either. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually <laughs> older than you, so I feel the same way. Yeah, it takes like, like you don't recover as fast. And Shoyu, <laughs> I feel fine. <laughs> <laughs> tonkatsu i feel like sluggish and that's probably yeah. why i felt in japan for like half the time because i ate a lot of tonkatsu <laughs> <laughs> yeah when i make tonkatsu on the channel it's always like thin and uh i think people think it's a mistake but it's like i just don't want it super thick because i want to be i have a kid and i gotta do stuff after this you know like, <laughs> night, so, but yeah yeah i, I really i I'm, I'm i feel the same way where i've shifted to show you ramen too but in Hawaii, I'm in a kind of unique place because people here are used to eating chintan, clear soups, and shoyu ramen, and shio ramen. People here actually prefer that over tonkotsu ramen, so it's actually kind of an yeah. interesting thing. I think it's refreshing. I think it tastes, I, I, I don't know. I think it's more, oh, I don't know if it's pure flavor, mm-hmm. shoyu would be more of like a pure ramen flavor. Mm-hmm. And the tonkotsu is, I would think, like the ultimate you know, flavor pack, you know, flavor. <laughs> so it's like, I'll, I guess it's just balance. And that's a huge, I love balance. I like it. Try it. And then show you is the balance with mine. And then I started to make the Python and, and I'm like, this is, it's convenient for me because a lot of my Python, my, my Chinton and my, and my miso are all basically, you know, the same recipe of obviously you take that next step with the, the Python and boil it. But my meat, uh, and so it's easier for me to do the pop-up because I generalize my, my recipes and, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to keep it as a recipe because like Hazo says, you should feel the ramen, you know, mm-hmm. you should taste it. And so I make a general recipe with my, with my chintan 
and I keep it the same, but then I, I try to do a few other things to it every time to make it unique. You know, honestly, like it's kind of interesting because when I had the first episode of the podcast, I flew to Oahu and I met up with Mark, uh, ramen culture. And I told him, it's like, you know, I think what'd be really cool would be to, to do something like kits or something like that, like where people take home ramen and they cook it at home, like fresh ingredients and stuff. And he's like, Oh, this company ramen hero does that already. Like, but they, they're, what they're doing is more like a blue apron where they're shipping you a box you unpack everything that's frozen and you kind of keep it up together. Like what you guys are doing now, like you and then Eric and Menyo Hosaki and like, thing. this was my, this is what I wanted to do when I first started doing um, the podcast and thing. That was my original idea. So it's pretty cool to see like, Oh, it's kind of working. Like it seems to be working. And I'm, what do you think it's going to be like after coronavirus kind of like fit gets better and the situation gets better. People can kind of go back to restaurants. Do you think these kit things are still going to be, something that people are interested in or is it going to go right back to like oh everybody's going to go eat at restaurants because i can see now like if you're at home all the time and you can you can get takeout from a certain few places or you're cooking at home but nobody really knows how to make ramen and so it's kind of like a unique experience to make ramen at home you know and to eat it to be able to eat it now but do you think it's still going to be a thing that's viable after coronavirus i think so i mean it does it also depends on the the outlook and the how the the way the restaurants will be after this. It all depends on that. It depends on like, look at like, basically I have to look at Georgia. Georgia's like the, basically, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be say yes or no on that, but you have to yeah, like, yeah. We'll look at that as the, 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 the example of how things should go, how restaurants should run. Look at China, look at Korea. You know, I, I'm looking at that too. I also think that I should always, I'm going to, I think I should always keep the ramen kits as an option, even when mm -hmm. I open my own place, because that place I went to, oh God, I can't think of the name of it. That place I went to in Japan actually has ramen kits. Yeah, yeah. So, it's a thing. So, like um, my friend in Japan was sending me, like when I told him the idea, he's like, oh, that's my, the shop that I go to sells kits too. And he sent me a link. You can like order the kits online and it's like frozen soup and like some other things. And so, yeah, man, like. So that was a, that was it. It was just the, it was just the broth, the tare, and then the noodles. And so I was like, you know, tourists, I'm gonna buy a four. <laughs> and so, and so I wanted that flavor and I was looking at it and it stayed pretty well, um, on the flight back. Then oh, I started nice. looking at other places too. Like, like what you're saying, they're like pretty much providing you a frozen meal. But then again, I was like, it doesn't give you that feeling of, of making ramen. And yeah, so yeah, when yeah. I had done the second events, I had a really old, a good friend and she had bought some for her kids and she turned it into like an activity. And that, oh, that's, that's the cool. moment of like, oh, right, this is it. This made me feel really good because she would take, she posted pictures and they're all like making their ramen and her little, like, I think she's eight. She's like a fan of Naruto. She's like, oh, this is how you do it. This is where you put it. This is where you put the Naruto on top. And so I was like, whoa, that's really cool. Okay, kids are getting into it. And yeah. so that's how I started doing it. Okay, it's an, you know, not only can you get delicious food at home that's not the same that you're used to, but you can have a nice little, you know, a family night of cooking ramen together. Yeah, and then yeah. you can find out like this. You know, I try to make people like experience what ramen in Japan feels like, and I think that I did that with 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 the kids, and I continue to do it. So it's really cool to see that and the reactions I'm getting. Yeah, yeah. I never thought about that where it's like it it just clicked like the label went off to me too for me too when you said that it's like it's kind of obvious where it's a, and it's it's a, it's very Instagrammable, you know, like people can take if you go to a nice restaurant, you take a picture of your food, but that's it. But if you're making the food at home and 
people don't generally Instagram cooking dinner, you know, like, Hey, I'm cooking dinner, you know, but, but, <laughs> but if you're putting together like a kit like that, and then, you know, you're showing the kit off at the end that after you made it, it really is something that's really social media friendly. So. Yeah. Honestly, I'm, t- I'm it's taking off way. I'm still kind of in awe. I'm still kind of contemplating. I'm like, should I just comprehend everything right now? Like this two days after my last one. And the thing with, 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 with me, uh, like a rule of thumb with restaurants and customer services, like you try to make six out of 10 people happy. Yeah. And that's general. You expect a few people to be like, Oh, this was something wrong. Or, yeah. You know, I, but I'm having a huge success rate with, with the quality. I haven't had any complaints too much about my quality. I had a few mistakes on the last, uh, the last a few days ago. And it was mostly due to like missing a noodle, missing an egg, because I, this was the first time I actually added extras to the mix. I see. So I I see. Extra, extra ajitama, kedama, um, you know, extra, extra chashu, and that the that went really well. But then that's when my mistakes occurred. But yeah, it's like, more variables, right? Rather yeah. than just like a standard kit, like you put yeah. the same on everything. How and are kind of like what's that? Oh no, no. Like, how are you dealing with like the people cooking it on their own? Like, have you found that you know, like? Ramen can be pretty finicky as far as like overboiling noodles or like overheating the soup or stuff. Like, have you found it like people have been able to follow these instructions pretty accurately? Like, put this much tare into the bowl, put this much oil, and then heat up the soup and put that, boil the noodles, strain the noodles. Like, people have been having pretty good success at home doing this on their own. Yeah, I haven't had any any bad comments about that. Oh. I actually had someone, one of the bloggers that follows me, she posted saying the instructions were super easy to follow. I actually wrote them down like, I try to make them pretty, pretty, pretty universal. Uh-huh. Like it's literally just step one, take noodles out of bag and fluff them, put them aside. Step two, take two bowl, two pots out, one with boiling water. But then the first two kits I did, I actually um, could put containers on everything, oil, tare. And then I realized my friend was like, you're using way too much plastic. And like, All right. <laughs> oh, you yeah, had like, to- a, like a individual serving size for each tare? Yeah, Tari, oh, each oil, you know, Naruto, you know, yeah, Negi, yeah. all that. <laughs> Man, this is, this is a, kind of a pain. Yeah, yeah. And then I started kind of dialing down. I wanted a more simpler toppings. I wanted just the bean sprouts, you know, the green onions. And always, I, I feel like uh, ramen always has to have Naruto, no matter what. Any kind of Naruto or a fish cake. I feel mm. like that's just, it doesn't have to add too much flavor, but it adds that, like, it's that pop on top. And then... I was like, man, this is too much. And then this last time I was like, okay, why can't we, let's just combine the tare and the broth and the oil because it's going to kill. It's going to, it's going to take off an instruction step and it's going to cut down on waste and it's going to cut a little bit less confusion. I think because people don't really know what, Oh, what's the oil for? Or, Oh, what's yeah, this, yeah. you know, and it's hard for me to like not explain it. If I'm at a restaurant, I can sit there and explain, you know, how, yeah, how like, I could see how people would be like, oh, I don't want to put any extra oil into my soup and they just leave it out. And then the final product is not as good as if they were to just have added it in. So. Yeah. I noticed that like, like when, when, when my, or when people have bought in kits and for their kids, they usually just leave it just noodles and meat. It's yeah, very simple. Yeah. But then, and then I started just condensing things. I, I was before I was putting like bean sprouts in one bag and green onions in one bag and nori in one bag. So I just combined the green onions and bean sprouts because I, at first I was like trying to have people, I was like, Oh, people would make bowls. Like I make my bowls. And that was <laughs> yeah, like yeah. a wrong way of thinking. And then I'm like, okay, well, I don't mind if I put all of this, you know, the green onions and the bean sprouts in one bag. And then the pictures I've been getting look really good actually. So I'm surprised everyone's really happy. 
this last time I included a vegan ramen because my friend uh, who owns the restaurant is a, he does a lot of vegan mm-hmm. uh, items and he actually made the broth while we were packing everything. So he had a really good reduction of vegetables and added some nutritional yeast and some of my miso. And so, so it was really good, really surprising. Oh, cool. Yeah. This, the, so is, do, would you say like these, these ramen kits, um, like, so say a coronavirus gets better, everything's go, kind of goes back to normal. People are going out to eating restaurants and stuff again. Do you think, uh, do you think what you're doing now can be like a viable business or like a, like, you, do you think someone can just do ramen kits or do you think they'll need to go back to doing uh, like rest sit down restaurants and then offering kits on the side? Uh, honestly, I think it, it has to be the latter. It has yeah. to be people, people, want to sit down and eat Mm -hmm. people miss it you know it sucks because you know i'm used to having people sit in front of me at the sushi bar but i see people at the door picking up food and you can just you know i i have multiple comments a day and i can't wait to come back here and eat you know Mm -hmm. just hang out it's just it's just a feeling you know i i honestly in my opinion as a chef i really don't like postmates or grubhub or doordash because it takes away from the quality it takes away from the restaurant you know yeah and then the the demand for their commission is just ridiculously unreal. It's just unrealistic to sustain that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the ramen kits itself, I mean, honestly, it's, it's it's easier in the fact that I don't have to stress about timing my my timer with my noodles and straining them correctly and making sure that I'm pouring them in right. That's a little bit. That's an added stress when I do the pop up. Uh-huh. It's a stress to to do the kits, but I don't have that added added, you know, just tension for it because it's like okay, I'm cool. I can just pack this up. I'm good. So I might, I know I have, I know a few chefs in the area that actually started selling meal kits to local uh, grocery stores. I mean, I could, I'm going to, I'm going to keep every option open and see. That's a cool idea too. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I want to, I want to keep doing, I want to keep sustaining what I'm doing. And also it's gotten to the point where I, I might have to cut down my hours or quit my <laughs> job, my job eventually if I want to keep this going. So, so how would you recommend someone market their kits or their pop-ups when eventually we can do pop-ups again like i I know that you said you just hit up your friends do you think that's a great strategy of like just hitting up your close friends getting a group of your close friends together and then letting that spread organically or do you how did you go about doing it what would you recommend i recommend uh finding connections with people okay and so uh lightly when my food blog started it was kind of for fun I was like, oh, I have all these pictures of sushi and I go out to eat a lot. I might as well just post pictures. And that's where I went to Japan thinking uh-huh. I'm going to, I'm going to vlog everything. I bought a camera <laughs> and I filmed everything. I haven't done a thing with my video. <laughs> <laughs> Editing videos is a pain in the ass, man. And so it's I started, uh, it does. I see you. You're a lot of work, man. I don't see how you do all that. And so I, 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 I seen it. I'm like, okay. I, I look at the reactions I get from my, my posts. Huh. Okay. I don't get that many if I go out to eat. I'm like, oh, fast food, whatever. You know, surprisingly, I got a couple of hits on that Jack in the Box I posted the other day. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just so surprised it was good. I wanted to post about it. Plus, I don't have anything to post about right now besides ramen. Yeah, yeah. Really, I always, I try to keep a few posts a week of just like keeping the foodie aspect of it. You know, I want to be able to tell you, oh, I think this place is really good. I don't get too many hits on that. I got, I, I was getting a lot of hits on my sushi. Like my my unique rolls I was making yeah. and stuff like that, and that's when I kind of started experimenting. And then I started make posting more ramen, and then man, I'm getting way more notices. When I started posting my homemade stuff, people were 
way more outside of my friends and family. I started to get more followers. I started to get more notice. I'm like, okay. And I already have really good connection with a, a lot of, a lot of restaurant owners and managers and chefs in general in the area. And I'm always trying to collaborate with people. I yeah. collaborated with, uh, I met her, she makes waffles uh -huh. and she like at a farmer's market. So I met her and I think that's when it also, this is before the tasting too. And, and I made a, uh, we did a collaboration on a mango sticky rice waffle. Uh -huh. So I, then I started, okay, connection with that. And then and it's just kind of, you know, the, the chef that I had the, the pop-up at the other day, he's actually been on diners and drive-ins and dives. So wow. he's actually very well known. His name, um, I'll give him a shout out later and give him his Instagram handle, but <laughs> that gave him a lot of notoriety. And I noticed that when the big places in the area were blasting at me, I, mm. I got a lot of outside people jump up. I went from like 700 followers to about 1200 in about oh. a month or so. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is a lot for me. That's a lot. I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people who are doing, doing ramen at home want to transition to pop-ups and doing things like they, they're either like afraid to ask or they're afraid to approach these people because maybe they're just like home cooks and stuff. Like how do you, how do you recommend them? They approach these, these kind of people. Yeah. Go in there and, hit them up on Instagram or go talk to them in person and, 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 and don't get disheartened if you say, if they say no, then that was the hardest thing for me setting up before I found the appliance store. I think that's probably why I took a few months off from my first with my friends because I didn't have anywhere. My boss, it would have been perfect to do it at the sushi restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. But she's like, an old school Korean mentality. So she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to get it mixed up and, yeah, and yeah. I understood. And then, yeah. I was like, man, okay. So I started doing it at the fine store, but I didn't think it was sustainable. You know, I, yeah, people can come in here and, and, and look around and eat, but I can only do about 60 people. And ideally, because they usually have two part classes and I only have like four hour window. Oh, I see. I see. So I'm like, okay, I need to start thinking about this. So I randomly hit up chef Ty Bauer and he's always, he's been a good friend. He's been, he was eating my sushi before he opened his first restaurant. He's had, he has three restaurants right now. He's been open for about 10 years. Oh, wow. So, so I have known him for a while. So I randomly texted him. And I'm like, hey, you know where I can, I can do a pop-up? I'm like, I'm really looking for a place. And he's like, yeah, uh, my place downtown, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesdays. And I was like, oh, my God, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how it started. And I was like, yes. I mean, it really is just like getting lucky and finding your spot in the door. Because mm. if I didn't have the access of where I have now, I wouldn't be doing the – I would probably be doing delivery ramen kits, but it wouldn't be doing pop-ups and – it, it wouldn't be sustainable yeah 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 i feel like maybe maybe it's for you it's like not as a stretch to like ask these chefs like hey do you know where i can get a pop-up but if like you're just like a nobody maybe it might be a little harder so i'm just trying to figure out ways that people like you know like me I'm, i don't have any connections to restaurants or anything if i were to ever try to do a pop-up in the future i would have to figure out how to get connected to these chefs and to these places but yeah, Although you, you I, have a I, you have What's a really that? easy way though. You have your YouTube channel <laughs> yeah. right there because yeah. people see that you're doing, Oh, like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. Uh, so, so I think that you have a little bit easier access than someone who's just maybe posting a few pictures on Instagram mm -hmm. or doing it at their house. And honestly, uh, uh, I take inspiration from Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. Yeah, dude, Gary V has been like, I would, I've been following Gary for like 12 years. Like he yeah. helped me start my first business. Like I have email exchanges with him from wow. my first business. Yeah. He won't talk to me. I'm joking. <laughs> well, he's super no. busy now. Like when I, when I was messaging and emailing him, he was still running the wine store. 
And so oh, wow. I was emailing him at Gary at wine library.com and he emailed me back and I just asked him like dumbass questions. Like, like, how do I do that? Well, I don't know how to handle this person on my forum. And he like banned them. You know? <laughs> he just like, but he would, he would answer like every single email at the time. And yeah. yeah so I took inspiration. A, yeah. He's been a really good inspiration. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I take it like a lot of stuff he says, and there's a big thing that he says, he says, just message as many people as you can yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. So I have that mentality and that's kind of the mentality I had when I first sent you a message. I didn't yeah, think yeah. so. Honestly, it's just, you know, when you, you see someone online, it's kind of like, kind of, uh, uh, intimidating. Like, Oh, I'm mm -hmm. gonna message this person, but you know, it's just through a screen or through your phone, you know, Oh my God, they messaged me back. You know, like, you know, it's just different when it's online. You know, I always, I'm always feeling like I'm bugging ramen Lord or queso <laughs> or you, but I know that you guys are really cool about that kind of stuff. And it's all about the community too. Cause like, you know, I can learn from you, you can learn from me kind of thing. And so I honestly, I just want to, I just want to be part of the community and it doesn't have to be ramen. It just has to be food. Like I'm, mm. I'm going to set up a, a collaboration with a, a couple in the, in the Bay area. Do like they do sushi videos, so I was oh, like, Hey, cool. how about I come by? Let's do a collaboration. I'll just like come by and teach you guys some sushi. So, after the quarantine is over, we're gonna, we're gonna plan that. Awesome, so, man. Yeah, uh, I feel like that's a really great way to approach things. Like, I, I, I am I'm the same way as you, probably because we both got inspiration from Gary. Whereas, like, I don't care, like, I'll just hit up people randomly all the time, and I'll, I don't care if they say no, or I don't think I don't even think about it. I don't think about, I don't think about what other people think very much too much you know i just try to help and be, be helpful and if it can be helpful and if i can start a conversation that's cool but i mean i think that's some pretty good advice for anybody who's trying to like get in the door just don't be afraid to approach these people because they're all humans and you know yeah and at the end of the day what you don't have you have nothing to lose but not asking i mean yeah, yeah. not asking i mean honestly i wouldn't be where i'm at for not asking and not trying and i think i think that could really convey to everyone out there right now yeah especially yeah yeah just ask cool man all right let's get into some listener questions here all right all right so um the first two questions are from chila quila and he asks what are some good jams to listen to trying not to soup boil in silence okay so that actually is a really good question is because i'm i am uh, a firm believer of what you put in the food conveys to the food energy, good, good vibes, you know? So I tend to like, I started noticing, I started humming like Amaro Lagasse at work. Hmm. Hmm. I started, okay. I'm being stupid. No one can hear me though. <laughs> so like when I'm in the flow, I started like, you know, started doing my sushi thing. I started doing that. Okay, cool. And I'm the kind of person I can't work silent. I have to have some kind of audio uh -huh. get me going, or I'm just going to get stuck in a spot. And so, uh, with the music wise, I have a tendency to listen to the same stuff all the time. And let me pull up my Spotify real quick. So uh, I listen to a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff lately has been inspiration from the show called Letterkenny. It's <laughs> okay. a really funny show, a Canadian show, and they just they put some really good music on there. So I, I try to do like a, some good flowy electronic music or some yeah. some cool casual rock. But I just I want to feel good when I'm making the noodles and and that huge. I think that's a huge factor. I think so too. I, I think you can feel the person's energy. And I think even the last guest, uh, Raman Kalnashi talked about that too. It's like, that's the most important thing to put in. It's like your feelings into your cooking. Mm -hmm. so. 
And that could be, I mean, again, that cannot just have to be positive. I mean, I've, mm -hmm. I've noticed that like, you know, there'd be days I go into the sushi job kind of like not feeling great. I'm having kind of a negative spectrum and then I would be rocking out my food. <laughs> so, so, so there's just kind of in between. I don't like to stay in that, the negative zone too much, but, huh. but uh, like I've noticed with my ramen, I'm, I'm kind of doing like a little dance a little bit, making noodles. <laughs> kind of weird is because when I do like KitchenAid and I'm doing the noodles and I'm kind of flowing and so my music is kind of going like this too. And so <laughs> I started my motions, I'll be like grabbing the sheet, putting the sheet in kind of, and it's weird. I flow a lot when I do stuff. <laughs> cool, cool. Man. All right. He also asks, what is your policy on aromatics in the broth? When do you, and the question cut off, but I'm, I'm guessing he's saying, when do you add them or what's your timing to add them? It depends on what flavor I'm doing and the kind of people I'm doing it for. Uh, I noticed the first few aroma oils I made were heavily on naboshi. So I did a naboshi garlic and green onion oil. Mm -hmm. And I found this really good, and I'm really particular about texture and color. And so I found this olive oil, canola oil blend that I think is nice and golden, has a little bit of viscosity to it. Uh, but <laughs> knowing, like, you know, letting it sit for a while, the nobashi kind of tends to get intense. So I kind of decided to do a standard garlic and green onion uh, aroma oil, especially when I want to do stuff with vegans, vegan ramen. I try to generalize all of my, all of my sauces and taris. As far as like adding them into the soup when you're adding like any kind of aromatics into the soup or do you have timings on that as well? Uh, timings is more of a temperature. I, I kind of raise the heat a little bit to get that initial burn of the water. Mm -hmm. When you throw in the green onions, I try to lower it a little bit and I stir and watch constantly. Uh, if I, I notice if you over, I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you overcook the garlic, it gets super bitter. Yeah. Yeah. And I try not to use that as a topping because uh -huh. it just, I, I know that you either overdo it with, with the garlic. So you kind of have to time it. So I noticed the garlic, it burns faster than the green onions sometimes, especially mm -hmm. on how small you chop the garlic. And so I try to time it or I throw in the green onions and wait for that sizzle to die down a little bit. Then I'll throw in the garlic and then wait for that sizzle to die down. And then I lower the heat for about 45 minutes. Cool, man. All right, so Pantry Poppy asks, um, what are the logistics in, in pivoting to home kits? Is there anything easier or, harder to, easier or harder about kits? I think it's, so part of easy is that I have my recipes down of my chintons. So I, I, do, uh, I do eight quarts of water. I do about, it depends on the size of the chickens. So I do three or four chickens. Uh, and I keep it generally the same. I taste it, make sure they're balanced. Uh, but I have a, like, I pack, I have, um, I prep everything. So I have packs of Naboshi already in the freezer. So one pack is one broth, one portion. So it seems like it streamlines a lot easier when I'm like, okay, I can do, you know, I did 14 gallons last week and then I decided, I was like, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to do four gallons a day. And that made it a lot easier and streamlining. But the problem is I'm running out of space. I have no, I, I need to buy a new fridge <laughs> yeah. or eventually get, uh, start running out of commercial space out. Oh, cool, cool. And as far as like anything that's like a lot harder than doing a pop-up kits compared to pop-ups? Uh, nothing. Oh, harder <laughs> between the two. Yeah. Yeah. Like, com like comparing kits and pop-ups, like, is there, what's, what's harder about doing kits than pop-ups? Oh man. I don't know. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> the kits, it's just trying to accumulate 
all the stuff to have and pack everything and bag everything and ready to go for people. That's a little mm -hmm. bit of a challenge. And then on the opposite spectrum, when you're actually doing pop-ups, you have that same kind of and like kind of stress. I mean, you work in a restaurant, you understand, but then you have that same stress of being on the line of like making, uh, noodles good, making sure your guy is doing your toppings right. And so like same thing at the, the other day, I had brought in two guys from to help me out and they'd never done this before. So I was trying to tell them how to do it. It was a little bit hard. So I, I had a few missing items from my boxes because, you know, I was trying to keep everything unified and okay, you all get noodles and then they all get pork belly and then they all get eggs. And then there was a couple mixed up, but that's okay. It's just natural. Um, so they both have challenges, but I think uh, if I, so the next pop-up I'm probably going to, I think, I think it's going to be on Mother's Day just because I want to keep a two week, a two week thing right now. And I think that'd be a good idea to do it on Mother's Day because everyone won't be able to go out for brunch. So, but I'm not going to do any deliveries this time. I think that's what's what kind of messed me up was the last, this last one. I had a 55 orders. I had about 10 deliveries and <laughs> We were so busy with the pickups that we didn't even get a chance to leave for the deliveries until the end. Until it was really late. Yeah, uh, so a lot of people were like a little upset. They had to wait too long, you know. Uh, so it's just kind of like learning and going and, and adjusting yourself. That's cool, man. Like I, I, I really like that kind of like learning on the job kind of thing because speed is, you know, you, you watch Gary Vaynerchuk. Speed is a factor that you, you can't like downplay. Like the speed of like, not speed of like, making the thing but speed of progress and like iterating on the previous version of what you had and then building and improving and that speed of iteration is super important so i think yeah, yeah. that's cool all right and he says is there any particular bowl that's better suited for a kit like particular style of ramen honestly i honestly no i think everything's pretty pretty good uh the 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 python and I want to, I don't know, you know, Python, Tonkatsu, very similar texture ones. So I, I wanted to experiment on that and how, and how like the, the texture of the Python would freeze and how the texture of the Shoyu would freeze. Mm -hmm. And uh, both of them generally are very good transitional wise. And I also like to keep, just for freshness, I like toss in the broth for about an hour in the freezer before I put it in the boxes. So it keeps a little bit fresher. And then the noodles, you know, I keep everything either in the fridge. I haven't done any freezer stuff, but I try to, I try to unify everything, and so what I really do feel like shoyu and and miso are a pretty a pretty good rounder. The, you know miso kind of settles on the bottom a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I, I you know in the instructions I make sure that you stir in right, you know, because it settles. But it, it seems to be have done well with the freezing. Um, Nama Japan TV asks: Is there any type of lost flavor or downsides of the kits, at, at, just in terms of flavor, when compared to a restaurant or serving it at a pop up? Well, yeah, I don't feel like it's a hundred percent like getting a hot piping bowl in a in my in my sit down pop up or a restaurant. Um, but I also have tested it enough where I feel like the quality is still up there. I don't feel like it's to the point. If I feel like it's not quality enough, I won't serve it. Like with fish too, just like sushi. Like if I feel like it has a slight tinge and I feel kind of weird, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. serve it. Yeah, yeah. So if I like, that's kind of why I'm like. I think when I first did the, the kits, I used a lot of chicken feet, mm -hmm. you know, and then I noticed the gelatin kind of froze kind of weird. And so then I noticed that I didn't use chicken feet for the last one, but obviously like I can tell the, the flavor is not the same, but it's still up there. So I noticed the, the gelatin actually affects the freezing process for me. I don't know if, mm. if it really helps anybody else. Um, but I, I'm trying. Like I, I have, I have a, a show. I have a shinton in the freezer that's been in there for about a month, 
and then I test things. I might make sure, no, I don't want to over freeze it. I don't want freezer burn. The mm. air in the package also has a lot to do with, with freezer burn. Sung Seafoods asks, any tips for making ramen kits? Uh, it's just finding nice containers, packing everything up, <laughs> and kind of unifying everything. Um, I have these 16 ounce containers. I use all, all my broths. It's not, it's really just a lot of packing, a lot of tedious stuff. Like, like Sunday, I had one guy for about an hour just wrapping all pork belly. I had one guy wrapping nori. I had my other friend cutting uh, Naruto. I was doing all the pork belly and all the green onions. So it's a lot of, I don't know. I don't feel like it's as repetitious at a pop-up, but it's super repetitious and kind of a little bit mundane. And using the same rotation for two uh -huh. hours, so that's probably the huge difference between the the kits and the pop up. Uh, I see, I see. So probably you just need getting help if you're because of the mundane nature of making kits. Maybe getting help is kind of like a good thing. Definitely, I had <laughs> so I had total, including myself. I had four people, and so it was a pretty good. I think one more might be good, but we'll see. I'm I'm, I'm going to see how my numbers are for the next one. That's so cool, man. I'm so proud of you. All right. Thank and you, man. Last question is, I think this is your friend. <laughs> another, <laughs> another old, uh, yeah. another old soul <laughs> asks, um, making sushi has often been described as meditative. Do you find yourself feeling the same flow while making ramen that you feel when you're prepping sushi? I feel more meditative making ramen than sushi. And Why it depends that? too. I don't know. It's like that. Just the motions and, and, and doing that stuff and, like, oh, make it noodles. I think, I honestly think their uh, noodles is a huge therapy thing for me. I feel way better, like, just making <laughs> noodles. But then you have that, you know, like, trying to, trying to get everything portion, package. But there's just the process of actually making the noodles and listening to the music. And you just want that. You just want to feel good when you're doing it and flowing. Um, I do notice when I'm making the noodles, I'm very meditative. When I'm sitting there looking at my stock, you know, making sure I'm, I'm, I'm cleaning the top off. And sometimes I just stand there. I have a weird thing. I just stand there and watch yeah. for like an hour. And I I'm do like, that I too. <laughs> and it's a weird, like you don't want to leave, especially yeah, yeah. with a Python. You, I, oh my God, you walk away for five minutes and it's like, oh shit, I need more water. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. I, that's all the questions that I got. Can you just tell people where they can find you online? And if, if you know, some of your friends are listening when the next kits are coming out and drops for that. Or... I haven't said like... the next kit yet. I'm planning on, I got to talk to my friend later. I, trying to see if i can do it on the 10th of may so every two weeks i'm trying to keep it consistent uh you all can find me on instagram at confucius eats with a k k-o-n-f-u-c-i-o-u-s-e-a-t-s -E i know it's a little bit weird i want to be different than the c-o-n confucius uh you can also find me on on facebook on the same name but underscore in between uh you can also find me under facebook under ernie watkins uh, then I can, if you can't find my Instagram, then you can send me a message and I'll send you the link. Um, also a big shout out to uh, Chef Ty Bauer, who's helped me a lot. Uh, Damon from uh, Camp 4 Wine and uh, my really good friend, Jared Blakemore. And of course you and everyone else in the ramen community too. I got to thank everybody. All right, man. Well, wishing you nothing but the best with your kids and with your pop-ups and hopefully get your own ramen shop eventually. Thank you very much, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much again to Ernie for coming on the show. He's a really great guy, and I definitely feel like we're going to hear some exciting things from him in the future. After I turned off the recording, we were talking a bit, and I kind of brought up how he reminds me of this book called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. 
It's a great book if you haven't read it, but the main theme of the story is that when someone is doing what they're meant to be doing, um, the author calls it their personal legend or pursuing their personal legend, it almost feels as if the whole universe is conspiring to help you and push you along. And I get that feeling with Ernie with how fast he's gone from you know making ramen at home to selling 100 kits at a time. We'll definitely be doing some follow-up shows and episodes with him as he continues to learn and grow. Please give him a follow at Confucius Eats with a K on Instagram. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Way of Ramen. Let me know what you guys thought of the show. Let me know who you want to see on the show. And also, you can watch me as I try to learn how to make ramen on my own here in Hawaii on my YouTube channel, which you can just find by searching The Way of Ramen on YouTube. Thank you all so much for listening. I really do appreciate the support, and I'll see you all in the next episode. Peace.